imposing grandeur, the quality or state of being impressive or awesome. The purpose of studying theology and reading books, it's it's not to gain our own intellect, but rather it is to bring us to Him. Because when you see how glorious and how holy and how majestic our Creator is, the more you worship Him. He is our imposing grandeur. Welcome to Imposing Grandeur Radio, Episode 5. My name's Alexa, and I'm joined here yet again with Annie and Avery. How are you ladies doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Wonderful. Wonderful. I can hear the excitement just reflecting (laughs) off of those voices. You guys are looking lovely today. What did you do today? Annie? Well, I just went to church and cleaned nothing super fun i'm going to avery's yes tomorrow not yesterday yes, you're going to avery going to avery's. yesterday whoa <laughs> that is so cool I'm going, to, <laughs> going tomorrow so i'm trying to clean up today and Aww. get it all done i'll be living vicariously through any photos that you guys send me i know i'll be there in spirit we wish you could join be i know there. i know avery what did you do today um i Watch church online because um, Jack's quarantined right now, so we're not allowed to leave the house. Mm. So we did that, and then we walked, and then I cleaned my house because Annie's coming tomorrow. Meal prepped, stuff like that, and um, I'm drinking tea now, just chilling. Wow, what kind of tea? Um, I'm drinking my Fruit Loop tea because the local tea oh. shop would make me this certain tea like back last year, and... They made it so often, they ended up making it its own blend. So they call it the Avery tea. <laughs> and, um, so but now they market it as like the Fruit Loop tea or something. So I was drinking that. Well, I have a question for both of you. It's kind of a riddle, but I'm pretty sure that the title of this episode will give it away. What are we studying today? And I'll give you a hint. The book of Leviticus is devoted to this subject. The word in various forms occurs more than 600 times in scripture and the concept itself is woven all throughout the Bible. Can anybody guess what today's topic is? <laughs> I'd sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about the holiness of God. This is our fourth attribute of God that we are discussing. We had an intro episode and then we we're just continuing with the attributes of God. So to start the ball rolling, because I know we have a ton to talk about. And as much as I would love to have small talk with you guys in the beginning, let us jive right into it. And before we, I guess, define holiness, I want to just put out as a preface some false concepts that people listening may have of holiness. Like this is stuff that some people may think of when they hear the word for the first time. So holiness, um, people may think equates specific prohibitions from things such as smoking, drinking, dancing, wearing certain clothes, mannerisms, etc. Or even regarding holiness as an unattainable perfection, which only fosters discouragement about sin and diminishes our self-efficacy to even strive for holiness. So we got to be careful with these do's and don'ts lists, because if we're not careful, then it creates a self-righteous aim that is a reflection of that Pharisee mentality whom Jesus didn't even regard as holy, but considered them whitewashed tombs that are beautiful to look out on the outside, but filled with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity on the inside, which it says in Matthew 23 verses 27. So now that we kind of know what holiness isn't, how would we consider holiness in its proper definition? 
Well, I'll bring up Wayne Grudem's systematic theology as I've done the past like several episodes. That, I feel like this is a tradition. Annie, we'll just start <laughs> calling you Grudem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he says God's holiness means that he is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. And then when you look up the word holiness in the Hebrew, it literally means separate from. Christian holiness or just holiness is separation from sin. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I think another way that holiness can be misconstrued is God is anything is so unlike anything we can, we have on this earth. We can't compare him to anything else. So when it comes to holiness and saying God is holy, it's hard to wrap our brains around because we naturally want to jump to um, a metaphor or a definition that we can find to be like, holiness is this, when really our definition of holiness is God. Hmm. Yeah, uh, J.C. Ryle says in his book, Holiness, holiness is nothing less than the conformity to the character of God, because holiness in and of itself, this is separate from the quote, but holiness in and of itself describes both the majesty of God and the purity and moral perfection of his nature. So meaning his holiness is as necessary as his existence and he can't, he cannot but know what is right. So he cannot but do what is right. And so kind of going off of this contrast between God and us, he's not like us when we face decisions and we ask ourselves, oh, what's the right thing to do? I don't know what the right thing to do because God, because he is holy, and has that moral perfection, he just always knows and does what is right. He doesn't have this inner conflict of right versus wrong. He knows what is right and does what is right. Yeah, exactly. And I found in um, Exodus fifteen eleven a verse that supports that, that says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And then also in Sam, uh, 1 Samuel 2, 2, which says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And so holiness is really the essence of who he is. Everything he thinks, desires, speaks, and does is holy in every way. I think, too, just when, like, defining what holiness is, I like to look at um, the examples in the Old Testament that God gives us, which we have the tabernacle, you had the Holy of Holies, and then the most holy of holies some there's something like that which just shows you like the separation and then just how like god's holiness is so much greater than what we can be as holy and then also the law like god gives us the law which is a reflection of his holiness and without that law uh here's a quote it says without the holiness of god there would be no moral law no divine anger with sin, no perfect son sent as an acceptable sacrifice for sin. So like we were saying, this topic is so like all encompassing, but I think of if you say holiness, I just think of the law, not in the legalistic sense that you were saying, Alexa, like do's and don'ts, yeah. but God gives us this law as a reflection of himself to show us how sinful and unholy we are in comparison to how holy and he is and how he does the right thing all the time. Like God just does right because he is holy. Right. And I think, no, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it's, it's such a big concept. And we were actually talking about this before we even um, started to record, but this is such a in-depth concept because like Annie was saying, there's this, and like I stated earlier, there's this idea of moral perfection, but also holiness being holy adds perfection to all of his attributes. 
So if God is a just God, if God is a loving God, he is holy while being that. So for example, me, because I am a human, I cannot love somebody and be angry at the same time perfectly. Like I cannot do that because I'm incapable of doing that. I am a sinful human. I do not have the ability to be angry and loving at the same time in a holy manner. But God does. So it's like all of his characteristics intertwine together through this idea of or this this truth of holiness. It is who he is. It is his essence. It is this this makeup of and perfection of all of his other attributes. So keeping that in mind as we even talk about this, but um, kind of segueing into that. So we know that God is a holy God. So what does this mean for us? Like, what does this mean for humanity? And Annie, you kind of touched on it. Like he is so holy and we are so not. So like, what does this mean? Well, I think backtracking what I was saying about the law, God is so holy that he demands holiness from his creation. Because if we go based upon that definition of separation, separate from sin, then and he's asking us to be that way, like he is, he gives us the law. And we obviously follow the law imperfectly and in an unholy manner. And so he gave us his son, who did perfectly follow the law and live a holy life. And so if we believe and trust in Christ, we can be holy as God is holy, but because of Christ, not ourselves. So mm. It is condemnation for the the whole, God's holiness is condemnation for those who are not in Christ, as Romans seven. I think it's Romans six or seven talks about. But the law does not condemn those who are in Christ because Christ has perfectly fulfilled the law, right. and we are in Him. So, is it possible then, when it says "Be holy, for I am holy"? Would you then say, yes, it is possible for us to be holy? So that command that he tells us in 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, when he says, but as he who called you was holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Is that possible? And is every Christian called to be holy? I think at least for me during doing, doing all this research for um, this week, um, it can be confusing. And I think if you've lif- listened to our sanctification podcast, if you have not, go back and listen to it because we were talking before we started recording at how, um, I guess in some ways, the way that holiness in this life, because we are tainted by sin, but we can be seen as holy because of what Jesus has done. He's covered us with that cloak of righteousness. And, you know, the Lord sees us white as snow. He sees us as holy because of his son. So yes, we can be holy, but also because we live in this earth, this broken fallen world, we are tainted by sin, just like the process of sanctification. Our holiness, we will never get to see that perfection of holiness here because of the sin that we have been tainted with. But also, and we'll talk more deeply about this, it's a striving. It shouldn't be something that discourages us being like, wow, I can never be truly holy, so why even try? Because it is a daily striving, just like the process of sanctification is as well. Right, right. That's a good point, Avery. And um, I would say, yes, every Christian is called to be holy, like you were saying. Um, So this call to a holy life is based on the fact that God himself is holy. Therefore, he requires that we be holy also. And that just makes sense. Right. And I think what trips us up is the definition of holy. What does it mean to be holy? Like we said in the beginning, there are false precepts of what, like perceptions of what we 
we envision holiness to include. And one of them is an unattainable perfection. So if you tell me that I need to be holy and I perceive holiness as being perfect 24 seven, not sinning, I'm going to tell you straight in your face, I cannot do that. Like as a sinful person living in this world, I mean, strike one already is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like I cannot do that because I am a fallen creature. However, through Jesus Christ, conditionally, that is my condition. I am made holy through his sacrifice by him being my substitutionary atonement. But also there is a, like you were saying, this, this, this command in scripture for us to be holy. And so the best way to understand this concept of holiness is to then read about how people in the New Testament use the word. So Paul talks about in First um, Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So Paul is using this term holiness to build a sharp contrast against the Gentiles' life of impurity and immorality and the lives who know God versus the lives who don't know God. And so when those two lives come into contact with each other, things are going to look different. We're called to be set apart as the people of God. And then in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And we talked about that verse earlier. So Peter is again emphasizing this contrast of living um, in fleshly desires before Christ versus the different life that we are now to live, having been set free from our bondage of sin. So we are to walk now in holiness as, and then the key word in the very beginning, as obedient children. So this process of walking in holiness is not a passive process. We are called to trust in Christ. And when we trust in Christ, a natural outflow of that is going to be wanting to obey his precepts, wanting to follow him in obedience. And so as obedient children, we are to not be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. But as he who has called us is holy, we should also be holy. And then again, in Revelation 22, 11, John contrasted one who is holy with those who do wrong and are vile. So taking all these New Testament biblical texts into consideration, it is to be concluded that holiness is not so much an unattainable goal of becoming perfect within this lifetime, which is impossible, but rather it is to live a life conformed to God's precepts found in scripture and to be actively, not passively, swimming against the conformity of a sinful world. So it's this trusting in God and then a natural outflow of that is to wanting to be obedient to him, be actively swimming against that conformity to this this world in which we live in. We are to look different. We are to look set apart. As Annie was saying in the Old Testament, God was very clear. His people were to be set apart from other people. Yeah, that's so true. And I I found a quote by Paul David Tripp um, that really backs up a lot of exactly what you're saying. And he said that um, we have been called to a holy living. This means that between the already of your conversion and the not yet of your home home going, obedience matters. Every thought, every desire, every word, every choice, and every action must be done in a spirit of humble surrender to the commands of God. As you consider the impossibility of this call, as it can be discouraging, take time to remember that God never calls you to a task without enabling you to do it. God calls us to be holy, then sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we can have the wisdom and strength that we need to to surrender to this holy call in all that we do. 
because I think, at least for me, it can be overwhelming looking at what holiness means and what we're called to. It can naturally, we can just see our inadequacy. And that's good. We should, of course, look at the holiness of God and be brought to our knees in humility because we can never be holy without Him. But I think it also, as Christians, it can just be like, we can get bogged down to like, we're never going to be the standard he wants us to be, but just to be encouraged to um, continue striving in obedience. The Holy Spirit is partnering with us, living inside of us, enabling us, giving us strength, encouraging us. And of course, you know, God has given us his scriptures to bolster us in that faith, encourage us to continue in our obedience, continue striving you know, out of the overflow of love of God for what he has done for us to be able to continue and walking in that obedience. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point to really hone in on and to echo it. Ephesians, like just chapter one in particular, verse four says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So remembering mm-hmm. this venture of holiness is nothing gained without Christ. It is If you are apart from Christ and you are trying to be holy, you aren't going to be holy because you're not in Christ. And that's the key phrase. I mean, Ephesians, I mean, look at your Bible. It says in Christ, in him, like a hundred times. And that's... You, Avery, you mentioned that in your quote, that without the Holy Spirit, this is impossible. This is not, it is an impossible thing, but through Christ, we can become more like Christ because we are one with Christ. So again, more technical language, but it all dials back to just the gospel, how Christ, we are redeemed through Christ's blood. And then as an outflow from that becomes obedience and good works that we were called to as Ephesians chapter two talks about. And so you have to get the timeline right there. Otherwise you're, you're off and you're practicing false theology or false gospel. Right. That's a great point, Annie. So we are already, we are already considered holy. Like it says in first Peter, we are a holy nation um, that we might declare the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Um, And that brings us to the inevitable result of holiness is that we grow to hate sin because God is the essence of holiness. He detests sin and sin is the opposite to his very nature and law of God. And so if we're in this process of becoming holy, a natural outflow of that is we grow to detest sin. Yeah. And I think um, what you're saying about detesting sin, it's important to remember, my pastor said this today, as Christians, you will sin. Sin is an activity that the Christian will participate in from time from time to time, meaning every minute of the day, you're going to still continue to right. sin. But you do not identify by your sin as a Christian. You identify as holy, loved by God, redeemed, restored, mm-hmm. delivered, uh, slave to righteousness, not slave to sin. And then... Mm-hmm. As you were saying how when we are pursuing being more like Christ, there's that outflow of obedience. But there's also that element of separation, because as you become more like Christ, you're mirroring Christ to the world and his word to the world and the world will hate you. And there becomes that natural separation. So that's also a really good gauge for Christians is how much does the world love me? 
Or is this message that I'm speaking, does the world agree with me? Does the world love my love what I'm saying? And the answer is always yes. You might want to check and see if you are truly living a holy, righteous life, because as you become more like Christ, I mean, first John says, do not be surprised when the world hates you. And so mm. they hated Christ. They're going to hate his disciples. We know that. And that's just something that I try to remind myself, especially like in the world we live in. So if it's sinful, does the world love what's being taught? Does the world agree with this? If so, something's probably not mm. right because they hate God and I'm trying to be like God. So anyways. That's a fantastic thing to add, though, because I was just about to talk about how I think the key word in all of this is looking to Christ, looking to God, because growing up in the South's Bible Belt, we as Christians um, treat holiness in a cultural context, which is unfortunate. But as a Christian culture becomes more or less holy, we tend to reflect and adapt to our surroundings. But God has not called us to be like those around us. He has called us to be like himself. And this is where we slip. We can see sin already creeping into the churches today due to that very compromise of holiness. We were never meant to look to each other and how to behave. No change happens when we look to sinful people. Our standard is the very essence of holiness. It is the very essence of God who is moral perfection, majesty, and purity. And Jerry Bridges has a fantastic quote in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, which I've been reading and is a great book, highly recommend. But he says that this is where holiness begins, not within ourselves, but with God. It is only as we see his holiness, his absolute purity and moral hatred of sin that we become gripped by the awfulness of sin against a holy God. To be gripped by the fact is the first step in our own pursuit of holiness. So I think a big internal inventory check that we all must do daily is, am I looking to people around me? Or am I looking to Christ for my absolute standard of change? Like if I'm looking to others around me, like we do this thing where we look at the really bad person that is so notably bad in the news or in our society or even in our school. And we're like, oh, well, at least I'm not like that person. You know, like I think it's Martin Luther and he has a quote and he says, don't compare your holiness to other people's sins. Like that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be com we're supposed to be comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ, who's the ultimate, the ultimate standard of perfection. And when we do that, change does not stop until we reach glorification. But if we're comparing ourselves to sinful people around us, we're done. No change is going to happen. So I think if there's anything for anyone to take away from this episode is that leaving this this uh, concept of holiness. Look to God for that. Look to Christ for your example. Do not look to others because nothing's going to happen. We're not called to look to others. God has called us to look to him, to be like himself. Be holy because I am holy, not be okay because people around you are okay. Yeah, that's so convicting what both of y'all said. I, I loved it. And just listening, it's just like, wow, that God has designed us to be called to this standard and also to remember too that as we're pursuing holiness, that doesn't always mean that that equals happiness. And I think John Piper says it, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but he says that God is more concerned about our holiness and our happiness. And I don't say this and we don't say this to like scare you, but also to remind you that as you're pursuing holiness, like Annie said, pursuing to be set apart from this world 
light versus darkness, you know, trying to pursue saltiness, being different, separated from this earth, that doesn't always look like, you know, prosperity or happiness Mm -hmm. in a way that we're going to be like, wow, I can totally tell I'm pursuing holiness because A, B, and C, all these things are working out amazing for me. A lot of the Mm -hmm. time we're going to be dealing with persecution and God is, you know, going to, there could be suffering coming our way because our world, the way it is right now, and we see, especially just this year and everything that has gone on, there is a divide coming. There is, Mm -hmm. we are seeing this separation of even Christians that, you know, are calling themselves believers, but standing for truth that is not in scripture, truth that is um, wrapped up in so much sin. And I mean, of course, we're all guilty of it because we're all sinners, but we're going to continue as we grow up. If the Lord does not come back, he allows us to live a long life on this earth. We're going to continue to see that divide and pursuing holiness is going to be hard. It's going to be a a race and a, a long journey that is not always going to be easy. We will fail. And that is when we need to look harder to the Lord, pursue scripture and memorizing scripture, being in scripture every single day, because if we are not, we are going to find ourselves in a crippling place. Yeah, that's that. I'm, that was a really good point, and I'm glad you brought that up because I know there are many believers out there that do assume, as I pursue holiness, my life will become better. Not necessarily maybe in a materialistic sense, but you just equate holiness with happiness naturally. But when you get down to the nitty gritty, and I referenced this earlier in John 15 where Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore it hates you. And then remember the word I said, a servant is not greater than his master. And again, what we've been saying this whole time is look to Christ. How did they treat Christ? The most, the essence of what holiness is. How did they treat him? Well, they beat him to a pulp and then hung him on a criminal's cross. And mm. and even today, there's still a rejection of that. I mean, we see it. Mm-hmm. It is by grace alone that we do not reject that. But we live in a world that actively rejects and hates a holy God. And so as we remind ourselves mm-hmm. to keep looking to Christ as our example for holiness, remembering that. Mm-hmm. Like that's where we find joy and becoming more like Christ, because you're not going to find joy by doing this list of do's and don'ts, thinking you're holy. You find joy in holiness, knowing you are becoming more like Christ, your savior, who is the essence of what you are meant and intended to be. Yeah. And I think going back to like um, the whole idea of a stark contrast between those who are followers of Christ and those who aren't. And Avery, like you were saying, people have this misconception that, oh, well, if you're a follower of Christ, like everything's going to go well for you. And if you're pursuing holiness, things are just going to happen. We are seeing even in our culture today that churches are compromising this aspect of holiness. And so as a result, they're becoming more accepting of sins and are allowing that to infiltrate the church and are being permissive of that. And so instead of having, like we see in 1 Peter, Revelation 22, 11, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, like I stated before, how there's this, this difference between those who know God and those who don't know God, we 
are able to look around, unfortunately, and see at certain churches, there's this gray area. It's not black and white, which is what it's supposed to be. People who love God versus people who are not, who are living, um, as uh, 1 Thessalonians says, the Gentiles who do not know God, who live in the passions of their flesh. There is this gray area that the church is creating because they are compromising that standard of holiness. We as a church must stand up and be bold in proclaiming our faith, be obedient in proclaiming our faith, and take those strong stands that aren't super popular, but are biblical and what we are called to do. So we're not called to be popular. We're called to be saints. Yeah, I just wanted to reiterate the point again that holiness is something done through the blood of Jesus Christ, nothing of our own. And I like Jude's doxology the best out of all of them because it's so comforting to the saints. And it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time now and forever. And I just find that so comforting as we're talking about holiness and just how holy God is and how sinful we are. But through Christ, he can present us blameless before the presence of God with great joy and how comforting that is to a sinner. Yeah, I love that, Annie. I'm glad that you reiterated that. And I also wanted to include a, a song recommendation. I love Holy, Holy, Holy by Shannon Shane. And I think it's Norton Hall band maybe I think is what yeah Norton Hall band it's a hymn that's been around forever so I'm sure you can find plenty of people that sing it but it is a really special song to me as it was the only song my dad who is not musically inclined sorry Marty um would sing to me as a child when I had bad dreams he'd sing that song to me and so I remember learning holy 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 really early on. And so it's like always been a really special song to me, but I've been reminded this week as we've been researching this, just what that means. And I also wanted to, I didn't get to mention the R.C. Sproul quote about why Holy, Holy, Holy is mentioned three times in scripture. And it's really short, so I won't keep y'all's time longer on this, but he said, only once in sacred scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says that God is holy, 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 not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that he is holy, 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 that the whole earth is full of his glory. And so I just really love that and love that reminder of why scripture has mentioned it in succession and you know in that way holy 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 and that song is just a special reminder of that so y'all should totally look it up if you um end up wanting to listen to it it's worth it yeah the whole rc scroll holiness of god yeah. series is like yes. enough to make you like have a heart attack <laughs> like yes. it's just Go it's read so it, overwhelming. It. So good. First time I listened yeah, to it, it, I was just like bawling, crying, listening to it. I yeah, I, yeah, I honestly don't think I even got to the episode three of his like series because the second, like it just hits so hard and I end up bawling my eyes out every time, but it is so good and just so overwhelming. If you just want a small, small, small glimpse of the holiness of God, watch that series. And that alone is super overwhelming. And then you magnify or you multiply that feeling by 
like a billion and then you can get a small taste of how holy God is, which is so overwhelming. But we're all out of time for today and talking about this. Um, But I did want to kind of wrap it up with an IG hot seat question. The question is, what is a time in which you have laughed that was an inappropriate situation to laugh in? So like, Sometimes these things just happen where you're not supposed to be laughing, but you cannot control it. I've experienced that where I just (laughs) could not control my laughter and it would just be embarrassing. Nobody else is laughing. You're the only one laughing. It's just a super awkward situation, but you can't control it. So that is the question. And I guess I'll start out by saying, I remember one time I was in high school and I was doing this presentation and it was just one of those things that you threw a bunch of words out on a PowerPoint and then you're just like, okay, this is good enough. And then you put it on a thumb drive and then went to class and just like presented it or whatever. But I had not read that presentation out loud until I was presenting it in front of the entire class. And one of the names that I had to read, it was on like a certain queen. I forget if it was the queen of England or something, but I read a person's name out loud. And when I said it out loud, it sounded so weird to me. And it's funny because I was presenting it and I said the name and then I looked back at the board and I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's the name. And then I was like, that's a funny name. And then I started to giggle a little bit in front of the whole class. And then it just like came, it went from a giggle to like full out laughter. And then I started to just like, like I could not control it because I was so nervous for like, cause I was presenting, but also I felt so awkward because I was not supposed to be laughing. I was presenting. And so here I am at the front of the room trying to give this presentation on like a queen and I'm like laughing. And my teacher's like, why are you laughing? Like nobody else was laughing. It was just me. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't stop. It was so awkward, but that, that definitely rings like in my mind when I think about inappropriate times to be laughing and I could not control it. Like I tried to, I was presenting. I didn't want to laugh, but I could not stop. <laughs> what about you guys? <laughs> um, so last summer, my husband and I hosted a friend's wedding reception at our house. It was really small, <laughs> like four or five people. And the mom came, uh, the groom, and she was really upset about something. I don't remember what she was upset about, but Patrick, my husband, was sitting behind her and she was facing me and she just yelled, excuse me. And the whole room went silent and Patrick was sitting behind her just making these weird faces. And so I could not stop dying laughing. And this woman's like so angry and upset about something and just yelled at us. And I'm like crying laughing because of Patrick. <laughs> And it was just, it was very, it made it a lot more uncomfortable. And she obviously got more angry, but. It's <laughs> hilarious. What about you, Avery? Um, I have one. I have a couple. Well, first, I think of the plenty of times that Alexa and I got to be in a couple, I think a couple classes together in college. But like oh, yeah. with y'all and then like my mom and a handful of other people, I'm like in a funny situation if I'm by myself I can like think of something really sad and like just get myself back where I need to be but if I'm with y'all if I make eye contact with y'all or like my mom or like a certain group of people if someone's with me I cannot stop giggling because I'm like I cannot look at that person I literally be shaking in my chair and so there's plenty of times that I Alexa and I like just being in a class if I looked at Alexa's expression if something was sad or done in a class I could like not stop giggling so those things those come come to mind I can't we don't have time to go through all those but you've even said to me once you were like 
don't remember what the situation was. But, you know, I tried so hard not to look at Alexa because I knew I'd just burst out laughing. And I was like, same. <laughs> yes. Yes. If I'm with you guys, I'm like, I know what they're thinking. And if I look at them, I'm just going to lose it. And then another time where I'm by myself, but my mom was in the room, I was doing a presentation like you, Alexa, it's in high school. We were doing, we were in a debate team. It was like a class and I'm really bad at like public speaking. It took me a long time to like get to a place where I was comfortable with it. And I was pretending to be, I think a defense attorney. And we were talking about, um, changing some policies in the lunchroom where just it was all you know it was like weeks of research it was like a big deal for us to be up there and I'm reading my you know notes I'd been over so many times and um I was probably like 15 so I hadn't heard of all the words and one of them was like a la carte was like how you're supposed to pronounce it but I like got to the part I was like almost done with my speech and I was like I'm almost done I can like sit down and um I got to the part where I was like a la carte and I made it like one word and then I like look out in the crowd and I could probably could have been totally fine but I like made eye contact with my mom and I like knew whatever I said was wrong and my mom was just like giggling and like shaking in her chair and I like sat down and could not stop laughing and I could tell that like my debate partners were like why is she laughing and it was like the most inappropriate time because it's supposed to be like somber like you're in a courtroom type thing oh my I could not stop laughing. <laughs> Oh, well, that's good. Well, that was a good question. Well, thank you. I tried very hard. But anyway, (laughs) so we are out of time for this podcast episode. But to conclude, I want to ask everyone listening a question. Have you heard people express, wow, God is so faithful when receiving good news? Maybe you enjoy the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and want to learn more about what being a faithful God means. Perhaps you attribute the word faithful to a loyal dog who always sits by your side. Well, if you fall under any of these categories, or none at all, join us next week as we discuss the most important concept of faithfulness as it pertains to God himself in the next characteristic of our Attributes of God series, God is Faithful. How was that? You guys like that? <laughs> yes. Oh, is that toll free? 700? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, so we will be talking about the next attribute of God, which is God is Faithful. So join us next week as we discuss what does this even mean and how it pertains to us in our daily living. But we'll see you guys next week. See ya. Bye, guys. <laughs>